0: There are these times in our lives that each of us go through them. You know, when you're a kid or an adult, when you're after a believer or before you're a believer, we all go through them. These times when we just feel lonely, these times when we feel insecure, these times when we feel... Unworthy, these times when we feel awkward. And, you know, I have a vivid memory of, of one of those feelings. I, I was in fifth grade, and, and it may not seem like a big deal, but when you're in fifth grade, it is. But I moved an hour away from the, my childhood home. So I grew up in the suburbs of Indiana, and I grew up in this little town called Brownsburg. Shout out to Brownsburg, Indiana. And we had just decided as a family that we were going to move to closer to my grandparents, an hour away to this middle of nowhere town, Newcastle, Indiana, to live there closer to family and so it was fifth grade and i remember it was midway through the fifth grade and i was going to a new elementary school talk about this time of feeling awkward and feeling lonely and feeling insecure and i remember it was vividly the first day i decided to be brave and i decided to play football with all the guys from fifth and sixth grade and i and i remember the the time where i got thrown the ball in the middle of the field i ran to the sideline and the biggest toughest bully in the whole school pushed me straight into a pole and basically almost knocked me out and i got up and i didn't cry and these two guys nate and tyler best men in my wedding they actually shared this story at my wedding they immediately thought this dude is legit and adopted me into their friend group and from that moment There is something that's really powerful about being adopted in or being grafted in or being brought in 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 a time where we felt my, I felt myself feeling awkward and, and, and viewed myself kind of uh, uh, lonely or not sure what was going to do what was going to happen. And awkward moving in from fifth grade to this new town, I viewed my situation, my new town, my new house, my new school completely different because of this. And so we see that it gave me this community instead of loneliness. It gave me confidence instead of insecurity. It gave me purpose, even when I felt unworthy, it gave me hope no matter what happened. And we all have times in our lives. And we all have times where we feel like adopted into these communities. And in Romans today, we're going to talk about how Paul is sharing that throughout the book of Romans, he's talking about significant positioning for each believer. And today we're going to talk about something that changes our identity completely. For many of us, we don't take time to really set our hearts and our minds around these significant new identities that we take on when we become believers. And so today we're going to talk about one of them. And we're going to talk about the importance and hopefully gain a greater understanding of what it means to be divinely adopted. What it means to be divinely brought in to the family of God. And we're going to look at what divine adoption means. And I'm so excited to get into this because It changes the way that you live your life. This identity, these identities that we've talked about throughout Romans, changes the way that you live your life. But this one in particular should change everything about the way that we live. It's so important for us and so crucial for us to understand. Because it it helps us when we experience suffering. It helps us when we experience times of loneliness. It helps us when we we feel insecure. It helps us when we feel unworthy. And it helps us when we experience all the things of the human condition. All the things that all of humanity is always faced with. And so let's jump in to the second half of Romans 8. You know, Mark Anderson uh, did this drop five. And he was talking about how Romans is the, the Himalayas. And so Romans 8 is like the Mount Everest of the Himalayas. There is so much to unpack in Romans, but we are going to, or in Romans 8, but we're just going to highlight these, these things because we cannot spend four to six weeks in it, but we are spending two weeks in it. But I am so excited for us to jump in to Romans 8. So let's jump in at Romans 8, 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's so clear here that all who have the Spirit are known now as sons and daughters of God. This is significant to our identity. This identity becomes our new identity. Now, the statement can be trite. If you grew up in the church, I'm sure you heard it basically every week that we are children of God, right? And so it becomes trite, but it's so significant to the way that we live. So, whether you've been a believer for one year or you've been a believer for 30 years, I want us to look at this from a fresh perspective because at many times you hear that we are all children of God that everyone's a children of God, but here he's actually saying that there is special language and benefits to being children of God. Yes, everyone is made in God's image. Yes, everyone is loved by God. Of course that's true, but this identity of God's children seems to be unique here in other places in the Bible That is for those who have the Spirit living in us. So let's unpack these verses here. Note that it doesn't simply say that those with the Holy Spirit are this. It says that those who are led by the Holy Spirit are now children of God, or now sonship. We now have this sonship, right? Paul seems to be making the point here that it's about how we are to live you can read this in, in modern day we would probably read this in our english american mind we would say led by the spirit it, it might simply mean we make decisions now with the spirit we make life choices we always consult the holy spirit before we make big decisions but we have to remember that in light of the context of romans in light of the con- the context in particular it's a connection back to the first part of romans 8 so yes of course we always talk to the Holy Spirit. We always spend time being led to the Holy by the Holy Spirit in all the important decisions, and we always look for guidance for Him in the important decisions. It's always important to to be in prayer for spouse, where we live, important job decisions, whatever that looks like. Of course, it's saying that too, but it's also saying here that being led by the Spirit, we truly can win over sin in our lives we can actually overcome challenges in our lives we can fully live into our new selves and find freedom and liberation when we are led by the holy spirit it's so much more than simply making decisions he's saying that it's not merely feeling the spirit it's not nearly like we come to a worship set, we come to a song, we come to a, a place where the lights are flashing and the the noise is on point, and we feel the spirit. He's not saying that. It, it's not saying that we get goosebumps when we just when we when we get the right music, or that we're even supposed to chase the spirit. That somehow we go, bounce from church to church to just try to get these feelings. He's saying those who are led by the spirit. And so, what does that mean? We actually have the ability to overcome. And find freedom when we are when we are living with active Holy Spirit, Spirit of God in us, that is changing everything in our lives. And we talked about this. It's setting our minds and our hearts on the things that the Spirit desires, and our desire becomes the things that the Spirit desires. We now hate the things that are against God, and we love the things that are for God. We align and we set our minds and our hearts on the desires of the Spirit. And that's what he said in the first part of Romans 8. So when he says led by the Spirit, it's similar here of what he's asking us to do. It's setting our minds and our hearts. It's not God is a genie in the bottle. When we need them to make decisions, we don't just rub the bottle and somehow it's clarity. We, in all aspects of our lives, we are led by the Spirit. It's letting the Spirit guide every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. And it's actually this idea of overcoming and finding freedom and liberation. We've been talking about that. Everyone who has the Spirit, who is led by the Spirit, grows in desire to the things that the Spirit desires. And like we said, that is the mark of a son and a daughter of God. And we see that 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 we are added into this divine adoption. And that's what he's going to talk about. Now, remember, that Paul is writing, obviously, to the Romans. And so when he uses this thing about adoption, he's talking to Romans who would have a cultural perspective that's much different than our cultural perspective when it comes to adoption. You know, my sister and brother-in-law, they've adopted two, two kids, Avery and Zeke. If you're watching, Uncle Kurt loves you. And, and, and they adopted two kids. And, and I remember the first time I met them instantly adoption is this amazing thing right because as you meet them instantly they're just part of your family I love them as much as any of the kids in our family there is no difference but the motivation to adopt in the Roman context was different than times today adoptions today is about placing a child into a family where they can be loved but Roman adoption was different because it was aimed at providing a suitable male heir for when the family patriarch died. They needed an heir to give all their wealth and all their things and their family name too. And so for most often, Roman adoption would occur when a wealthy person didn't have a son or really a have a suitable heir for their estate and for their, their incredible wealth. And we, so we see that, that it wasn't really just out of the goodness of their heart, but it was actually this heir. It was actually to hand things off to this suitable heir. And today we have this need or desire, desire, and we meet this child and we have this overwhelming love and compassion to bring them into our house. And and that's and just different because in Paul's world world, this would have been very legal terms. And when this happened, when you were adopted, it could be to a child, it could be to a teenager, it could actually be to an adult. If if there was an adult that was a suitable heir, you could actually adopt. An, uh, an adult. And so it's interesting. Now, in a legal sense, when you were adopted, what we see is that when someone was adopted, it literally changed that person. And in and the, and the views of the law, it changed that person. They became like a new person. Old debts were gone. So their debts were completely gone. They, they A completely new name was given. It was almost as if their DNA had changed. And, and at the same time, the son now would be a, a subjective to honoring and obeying this new father. And so for us, with our divine adoption, this is that we now receive that same identity. We are adopted into sonship. Everything changes. Our new self is put on and everything changes. It's clear in this statement that at one time, we were all lost, right? We were all not in a relationship with the father. We didn't have the Holy Spirit, and, and we, we were all orphans, but because of the Father, because of our Father, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, made legal acts for each one of us, and we are now adopted when we believe, when we are led by the Holy Spirit, and it's costly for the Father. It was costly for the Father. He did all this. He did all the legal work to get us there, and so we see this, That is incredible love, of course, but it's also, we are now heirs. And so we see this, that that like the Romans, there is huge, and, and for believers, there's huge privileges to being and understanding this divine adoption. We are now, this sonship is actually, there are huge privileges that we get. So let's unpack those a little bit. Number one, we now have authority. Verse 15, it said, we are not a slave but sons. Remember, we were we're in the family room at this point. We were, we were in the courthouse. We've talked about this multiple times. We were in the courthouse, but now we move into the family room and we see that we are a family member. And when you are a family member, you have authority. God has given us authority over sin and the schemes of the enemy. He's given us authority over over the enemy and the schemes of the enemy in our lives and in our towns and in our neighborhoods and in our families. We have to understand this, that we now have authority. We now interact and live in a world that belongs to who? Belongs to our Father. We're adopted in. This world belongs to the Father. And so many of us believers are not walking around with this identity and we're not walking around with this authority. We now walk around our cities, our neighborhoods, with authority as the sons and daughters of God, and it's so critical that we understand this. I believe that Satan, just look around, I believe that the enemy is taking territory in our towns, he's taking territories with people in our families, he's taking territory maybe even in our own lives, and because we either don't understand this, or don't live up to believing that we have authority, that we have authority as sons and daughters of, the, of, the, of God, who be, everything belongs to Him. And so we see that we have authority, that we are grafted into this family through divine adoption. And we have this authority because in every aspect of our lives, we are now led by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, uh, 6-7 tells us, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Believers, you are now sons and daughters. You are led by the Spirit, so you have authority. Now, point number two we see, we now have security. Again, in verse 15, we see it tells us, we are sons and daughters, which means that we do not live in fear. We are not to fear, but we are to enjoy sonship. We are to enjoy this adoption. If you are a servant, you have to obey out of fear of punishment. You have to obey out of fear of losing your status. You have to obey of of the fear of losing your job and and just being lost with all your livelihood but we are actually in a child-parent relationship. And so this changes everything because we see that this security now allows us that we don't have fear to lose the relationship, right? We are adopted in. And point number three, an important one. If, If we haven't nailed anything this last year, this is what we keep hitting. We now have intimacy we now have intimacy. At the end of verse 15, it says, by him we cry, Abba, Father. And we we see this, Abba was an Aramaic term, and I'm sure you've all heard this, but it's literally translated Daddy, right? It's the most intimate way that you can talk about the Father in terms of a deep endearment and intimacy that we now have with God. And so we see Jesus use this term to speak to God. We know that, but Paul is is likely using this phrase because he knows that this is how Jesus talked to God. And so we are now grafted into the family, and now we get to say Abba Father. So, like Jesus, as we cry out to Abba Father, the Spirit somehow comes alongside us and gives us assurance and intimacy to remind us that we are truly in God's family. We now have Abba, the provider. And the protector and the great I am, the one who all this belongs to, we are now in an intimate relationship through divine adoption with God. And these three things change everything about how we interact with the world. You know, if I were to do this, I would throw up a picture of wild horses running through the field. Just complete freedom, right? We have freedom and and, and liberation but we also interact with the world like that with that much power because we have authority we have security and we have intimacy with the god of the universe but also there's more i feel like uh i feel like uh, one of those infomercials late at night but wait there's more because we now have and we move into this inheritance and we now have, and we move into an inheritance. Of course, when we talk about the Roman idea of adoption, I'm sure the thing that got you and kind of peeked up your ears was this idea of, oh, now I'm an heir to an inheritance. We, got, we should get all excited about that. Of course we should. Romans eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Look, we we like to say this a lot. Um, We like to say, as sons and daughters of the king, of the most high king, we are now in the family business. We now are grafted in, as adopted, we now are also in the family business, right? With the things that God hates, we also hate. The things God loves, we love. We, our desires are led by the Holy Spirit, so we are in the family business. But it also means that we have these benefits of authority and security and intimacy, and we become heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. But we also see this. We are, in verse 17, we are both get an inheritance, but we also share in the sufferings. You know, that's part of being in the family business. We we get both the glory and the suffering. If you've ever been part of a family, you get this, right? You both get all the glory of the family, and you always get the hard sufferings as well of being part of the family. We're all part of this, and so we see this. For some of us, it's really hard to understand this analogy because maybe we don't have an inheritance waiting on us, or maybe we've had broken family relationships. Maybe we've had broken relations with our family, uh, with our father, but we see this, that we fight it out together through suffering and, th- and we int- ultimately get a glory and in inheritance at the end. And we are, we are heirs of, of, of inheritance, but we're also co-heirs with Christ in suffering. So now let's get to the easy part. Let's talk about inheritance, right? These passages mean that there is an incredible future. There's no other way to translate it. There is an incredible future for you and for me. The inheritance is there. Is this incredible future? All of us, all of those were, were loved. And, and, and all the kids were loved in ancient time. There were all. Uh, there would be a lot of kids. Each family would be a, a lot of kids, but there would only be one kid that would get the the lion's share or the majority of the inheritance, right? Of course, usually the oldest son or whichever one was chosen to be the heir. And so we see this, that there's an incredible future, but for each one of us, that 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 we all get this huge share of the inheritance. There's this incredible thing where, where uh, somehow all of us are heirs of God, right? Not just one of us, but we all share in the weight of the glory. We all share in the wealth and the glory. You know, Paul is saying that what we are going to experience is so grand and so glorious that it will be and in, in feel as if we alone had gotten the most. There is enough to go around that it seems like all of us get the lion's share of the inheritance of God. This is so incredible for us to understand. If you believe you are now an heir, all of us, you. Me, all of us are are heirs of God. And so this is an infinite times better than when Oprah said, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. Like this is incredible. There is enough to go around and we are going to be, this is going to be revealed to us in, in incredible glory that we don't even understand. And it's because of what the Father, it's because of what the Father did that we get this inheritance through the divine adoption. It's an incredible promise. And at the same time, we get to share in the sufferings as well. You know, here's a statement that you all understand. We as Christians will suffer. I just put it out there. We as Christians will suffer. There's this move in the the West and in America. I'm just going to put it out there. But in particular, it's leaking into Christianity, I feel like, lately but it's leaking into the Christianity that we can live, that we deserve, that somehow we can strive for and never suffer. Like there is this, the creation of the metaverse, if you're following any of that, the creation of the metaverse is this, right? We're gonna create a false reality so that none of us ever suffer. But throughout the Bible, it's clear that there will be suffering. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later in this sermon because it's gonna be clear that you cannot get away from that no matter how much time you spend on the metaverse if you've ever spent time on the metaverse I have not but I'm just gonna say it, it's just a false reality and so we see this that that we have companies that are trying to create false realities to believe that we have moved past suffering but it's not simply the case and so Paul is saying not only believers will you face the same pain that all the world faces and that humanity faces as just part of the human condition but we will also face suffering because we are Christians. It's very important for us to understand that. Jesus did so as co-heirs with Christ with co-heirs with Jesus, not only do we share in the inheritance but we also share in the suffering. Christ faced rejection. Christ had to stand up against sinfulness. Christ had to share his salvation with people who didn't want to hear the message in the same in the same way if we stand up, and speak out, we will face suffering. This is our new identity. This is part of being divinely adopted. We now are in the family business. And with this glory comes suffering. But each of us, there are we produce attitudes or character. This suffering produces character and attitudes to make us more like Christ. Let's read 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is where we see most people falling off when it comes to this discipleship journey. Do you feel it? Many people will profess that they're Christians, many people will seek to live God's way for a short time, but in times of suffering, when things get hard, we may see we may kind of fall off from this journey as a church we are called to become mature believers so we push through suffering all of us help each other push through suffering because we're all going to say we're all going to see it you know in some ways we as a church have basically tried to create the metaverse in some ways we have tried to make it easy we've tried to make it safe we've tried to make it all good it's all good. Just come, and we will run all the programs, and you will get an escape from the world for a short amount of times. But that's not what God is calling us to, and that's not what Paul's talking about. He is talking about us building up strength as mature believers to fully live out and become co-heirs with Christ in both the inheritance and in the suffering. And so we see that in New Testament, all the New Testament writers, and Paul, he does not shy away from this. There will be suffering. We have to accept it. And so we see this, that if we are going to be kingdom movers, if we are going to be kingdom advancers, if we are going to focus our time on restoring all things back to him through his presence, there will be suffering. We know this about it. Suffering is just part of the journey, both suffering that comes from the human experience and suffering that comes uniquely from the Christian experience. Let's go on. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Remember that the present sufferings are not even to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now we enter into this powerful part of Romans. You know, there's books that have been written about it. There are papers that have been written about it. Some of the greatest minds, I'm not one of the greatest minds, but some of the greatest minds in Christendom have debated this, have talked about this, have tried to figure out these. I'm, I'm not going to even come in, in, in close into the depths that you could get into these next verses, but it's important for us to really take hold of some of the truths of these next passages. So we're going to go through Romans 18, 19 through 22 first. Right up to the present time. Paul is saying that there is glory that is coming. That will be so powerful. That when it falls on us, that we will be part of redeeming, restoring, and renewing all of creation. Think about this. It's right here. The created order is in turmoil. Since since all of creation is longing for Christ's return, all of creation is longing for Jesus to come back. And when it does, they they will be liberated and the world will be free from death and decay. When Adam sinned, nature, the created order, has fallen in this term. And it says, subjected to frustration. All creation is subjected to frustration. The world and nature is not as it was created to be. Think about that. Let's stop here for a second. We live in a ridiculously beautiful place. I just wanna put that out there. If you have not gone hiking or been outside or gone to the ocean in a while, I want you to go out and experience God in this way. I want you to experience God in creation. As a boy from Indiana, we talked about it earlier, I'm just telling you, there's beautiful parts of the Midwest but out here is mind-blowing. Make sure that you go out and do it. We, we literally live in the most gorgeous place. And we have like every ecosystem. We have the rainforest out in the peninsula. We have the top of Mount Rainier that's what, Arctic or whatever. I think we have a desert somewhere in the Tri-Cities. It's absolutely crazy the different things that we could experience here in the Pacific Northwest. And so Meg and I are hikers. I think I've said that multiple times. But Meg and I love to get out and go hiking. And one time we were on this hike uh, through all this incredible space uh, out in the North Cascades. And, and we ran into, it was a real uh, barren trail, but we ran into these German hikers randomly. And they said that like literally the North Cascades are as beautiful as the Swiss Alps. I don't know if it's true. I haven't been to the Swiss Alps. We got it on our bucket list to go. But we live in one of the most beautiful, if it looks like the Swiss Alps, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. The oceans, the mountains, the trees, the rivers. It's crazy to think, even with all of that, that creation was meant to be even more amazing than that. Think about that. That creation was meant to be even more amazing than that. All of creation is in bondage of decay. It's a cycle of death and decomposing. And on this side of heaven and this creation, there is nothing that there is nothing in this world that is void of pain and death or decay. Everything. Since the, the, the fall of Adam now is in this subject to frustration, but we see that there will be a time when all the groaning will end and even more glory will be revealed. And this is the great promise. Again, like verse 18, like our world that is in suffering, Paul is saying our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So let's let's end here. Romans 8:23 through 25. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, that re- re- the re- redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait Pay for it patiently. We wait eagerly in the present life for future glory. This is the positioning that we have. We, we, We will have present pain. We will experience suffering. We will have pain in this world, but we groan inwardly like it says that all creation does. We as well groan inwardly. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. This is what it's saying. Literally, that's the first batch. We have the first batch of the Spirit. We have a taste, but just a taste of what is to come. It's incredible to think about. It's hard to get your mind around. Paul is saying that total freedom and freedom from the effects of sin and freedom from the effects of death will be gone one day. So we eagerly wait. And during this waiting, we have to understand that we are adopted that we have this identity of adoptive. We have become family members. We have become heirs. But in the waiting, we will still face present sufferings. We will face sickness. We will face diagnoses. We will face money challenges. We will face anxiety and worry. We will face heartache. We will face rejection. We will face ridicule. We will face you fill in the blank. We will face all of that. And we know that we are not What we will be one day. And we hold on to that and we wait patiently. And it says, We hope. We hope for what we do not yet have. And so we take this positioning because, in the meantime, there's something powerful that we have. So let's keep reading. Paul says it in Romans 8 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We find this. We find that the Holy Spirit is active in our present-day sufferings. The Holy Spirit is active in our present-day suffering. For those who are led by the Spirit, Even in our suffering, the Holy Spirit is present. For those who believe and find themselves as sons and daughters of God, we know that we now have a helper. And and we see this, that when we have no words to pray, the Spirit intercedes. There are times when we don't even have the words. Maybe you've never experienced that, but someday you will. Trust me. Maybe you haven't been in that much suffering where you don't even have the words, but I'm telling you, someday you will. Maybe you're in a season right now where you don't have the words, and that's okay. Maybe you're in a situation in your life. Maybe you have a situation in your life that you don't have the words. You don't have it figured out. You don't know where to go from here. We don't know what to pray for. It says that. There will be times where we don't. When things seem too confusing, too tough, too painful. If we're facing loss, if we're facing despair, if we're facing hopelessness, we see that the Spirit himself Intercedes with groans that words cannot express. Sometimes, even when you know that you have authority, sometimes, even when you know that you have intimacy, even though sometimes you know that you have security, as children of God, suffering may make it hard for us to live confidently into those identities. It might even be hard to pray. And the Holy Spirit is so kind because it says this it helps us approach Abba Father the intimate name that we can we can now call him as sons and daughters of God, the Holy Spirit helps us approach Abba F- Father with groans and the right words. It's amazing. We see that God is in the midst of simply doing this. He's searching our hearts and aligning it to his will. And the mind of the Spirit and we find that in great times of needs and great time of loss, and great time of decisions, and great time of pressures, we see for that we get the Holy Spirit to come in with groans like all of creation and connect to Abba Father. It's amazing. This is a fountain that most of us remain untapped as believers. Matter of fact, I've actually just really been trying to do this in my own personal prayer life. I've been working on it. If all of creation is groaning, if all of creation is waiting for the day for this glory to be revealed, waiting to be fully restored back to God, when we are in a time of suffering, we too are just waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. Can we just spend a little time just sitting in the Spirit? that's my question like that that's what I've been working on just spend some time sitting in the spirit when you don't even have words when you have that situation that has been there for years maybe and you're like I don't even know what to do with it can you spend time sitting in the spirit letting the Lord search your heart and aligning your heart to his will that's what's happening it's happening through the Holy Spirit no words just groans I know it feels weird but no words just groans you know to grown along with all of creation. I, I, I'm i going to put a plug in here. April 6th, Wednesday, uh, 7 o'clock here at the new church, People's Plaza, we are doing Kingdom Come Prayer Night. We are literally going to be just singing a few worship songs. Then we are going to spend time in prayer for an hour. I know that's intimidating for most people, but spend time in for an hour because we have to get our prayer life right. We have to let the Spirit just come and say, Lord, have your way because we want the Kingdom to come now. In our present sufferings, no matter what you're dealing with, spending time with God to align your heart with His will through the Holy Spirit is what we're all about. For this church to align our hearts with His Spirit, with His will, is all we're about. In this city, in this town, we desire that God's will be made known and that He aligns our hearts to the things that His Spirit desires in Kingdom Come Prayer Night. Please, please, please come. I know it sounds sounds wild just to spend an hour in prayer, but it will be so fun and we're just aligning our hearts to what the Spirit has for us. We will be reminded daily of our divine adoption. I want us to be reminded daily of our divine adoption, that God calls you to be a child of God and it changes everything. It changes everything in the way that we interact in the world and we see it that through His work through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we are now saved. We are now in the family. And yes, we share in the sufferings, but yes, we share in the glory. We inherit. We're heirs of the glory. Can you take on this identity? Church, if we take on this identity, we will be moving and shaking. If we understand that we have authority, that we have intimacy, that we have security, and that we have an inheritance, but it all comes with suffering, it changes everything on the way that we, we look at our divine adoption. Because when we do, we will find freedom in challenges, in our past hurts, in any present pains. And Romans is saying, in this part of Romans is saying, God desires freedom and liberation for all of creation. And that means you and me. So let us pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did all the work on the cross. As we enter into this Holy Week season, we thank you that you sent your Son to die for us. And Lord, that you, when he was raised from the dead and back up into heaven with you, sitting on your right hand, that you left your Holy Spirit down here for us. Lord, that we, that we get to live in the life of the Spirit, that we get to be sons and daughters that we get the Spirit of God in us, Lord Jesus, and that we are led by it on a daily basis. And we thank you so much for what privileges that gives us. We thank you for the, the inheritance of the future glory that we'll experience. We also thank you for the sufferings because we know that in our sufferings, you are making us more like Christ. And that's what we desire in this church. Make us more like Christ. Make us more like Christ. Make each one of us listening just more like Christ. That's what you desire for us, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would just be revealing yourself to each person listening to this. Lord, for those that are going through pain and have past pains and hurts, that they need to be resolved, Lord, will you just help them to just pray in the Spirit this week. Lord, that they would just let the Spirit groan and that they would align their hearts with your will. And we love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.